Welcome to Labour Days, a podcast about trade union issues and labour history. This is episode 17, and this is our Christmas special. It's a Christmas episode. The Christmas is this the first? This is the first Christmas yeah. special we've done. I think yeah. we didn't we didn't mark the occasion last year. Um, I'm Daniel Randall, joined as usual by Ellie Clark and Ed Muster with our producer Liam McNulty. Um, so we were having a chat about doing a kind of Christmas episode. We had a couple of ideas about different ways to do this, looking back through history at some strikes that might have taken place over Christmas. Um, I was, you know, I thought maybe we could talk about Walter Crane and his uh, kind of Christmas etchings. Um, but uh, Holly, our researcher, um, came up with the, the, the quite wonderful um, idea of telling the story of the union of Christmas island workers. Now, obviously, the connection to Christmas is somewhat tenuous here. It's <laughs> simply that the island is, is named after it. But it's a really quite powerful and in many ways inspiring story that we think probably a lot of our listeners won't know or have heard of. It's a part of the international labour movement that probably doesn't get talked about at all, really, in, in, in the British context. So um, we thought it would be a, a good opportunity to tell this story. So that's basically all the episode is going to consist of, is us um, us, us telling that, that story of the, the UCIW. Um, and we'll leave it to our listeners to maybe think about what lessons it might hold for uh, for different contexts. So without further ado, this is the Labour Day's Christmas special. Solidarity at Christmas, the story of the union of Christmas Island workers. Ellie. Okay, so Christmas Island is a remote tropical island in the, in the Indian Ocean. And it's approximately 950 miles northwest of Australia. Um, and it is an Australian territory with a population of approximately 1,800 people, the majority of whom are Malaysian Chinese. In the 1800s, the island was a British colony and Chinese indentured labour was shipped there to mine the phosphate discovered there. There was no indigenous people to do that. The UK transferred sovereignty to Australia after the Second World War. In 1975, the Union of Christmas Island Workers, the UCIW, was established and affiliated to the Australian Council of Trade Unions. They represented all workers on the island. Gordon Bennett, their, Gordon gen Bennett. <laughs> their general secretary, travelled to Cambria to meet the government um, and to raise concerns about the, ra the radical inequality and wage parity on the island. At the time, there was a two-tier system with separate schools, public transport, and so on, with one set for the Caucasians and another set for the Asian workers. After talks had gone nowhere, Bennett and other UCIW members staged a hunger strike outside Parliament, which resulted in them winning wage parity for all Asian workers on the island, as well as the extension of the Migration Act to the island, which meant that Asian workers were now eligible for permanent residency and Australian citizenship. After this, in 1987, the Australian government, who didn't want a permanent Asian population on the island, declared the mine uneconomical and closed it down, and offered incentives such as redundancy payments and freight assistance to the workers to leave. The Union of Christmas Island Workers urged workers to refuse the offers and encouraged workers to occupy their former bosses' government-owned homes because they were more durable than their own accommodation. The UCIW raised enough funds to commission a report on the viability of keeping the mine open. The government conceded and called for tenders for the contract of running the reopened mine. 
The UCIW workers formed a company and submitted a tender application, which was refused. But by 1991, Clough Engineering, the company that had won the tender, sold their shares to the union company who got total ownership of the mine. From 1999 onwards, Christmas Island began receiving what they called boat people from the Middle East and Afghanistan, refugees who were fleeing Saddam Hussein and the Taliban. In two years, 2,800 people arrived in boats to Christmas Island, and the islanders welcomed them with open arms, arranging clothes and shelter, ensuring they had access to halal food, and also organising social activities to keep the asylum seekers entertained, such as volleyball tournaments. In 2001, Christmas Island was the location of the Tampa controversy, whereby the Australian government stopped a Norwegian ship, MV Tampa, from disembarking 438 Afghan asylum seekers whom the ship had rescued from a distressed fishing boat in international waters. The Union of Christmas Island Workers released a statement calling for the Australian government to enter into international agreements for asylum seekers and provide a safe haven. Some of it reads... Our community expresses sympathy for those who come to Christmas Island seeking a safe haven from war, famine and oppressive regimes in their countries of origin. Our compassion for these asylum seekers trapped on the Tampa by our government's action arises from our experiences as well as our basic concern for the application of humanitarian values. Through our organisation we have fought for social justice and succeeded in smashing many of the shackles of the past racist colonial regime. We therefore call on the Prime Minister to order the opening of our port to the Norwegian vessel to allow the asylum seekers to land on our island. The UCIW engaged in numerous protests, demanding that the boat be allowed to land, staging welcoming protests on the beaches, brandishing placards declaring let them land. Local boat owners and fishermen in the UCIW, with let them land written on their backs, tried to launch their own boats into the water to reach the Tampa, but they were stopped by the police. After this event, the Australian government operated what they called the Pacific Solution, whereby Christmas Island was excised from the migration zone so asylum seekers could not apply for refugee status. They constructed an immigration detention centre on the island at a cost of 400 million Australian dollars. The detention centre spans 99 acres and at its peak in 2013 held 2,800 people in detention. The site has been the scene of many protests by the detainees, including a hunger strike by 400 detainees in 2012, with seven people sewing their lips shut. In 2014, mothers threatened to set fire to the building after raising concerns about the living conditions for their babies. And in 2015, a riot broke out after an escaped asylum seeker was found dead. The detention facilities run by the British outsourcing giant Serco are 20 kilometres from the township, with asylum seekers transported there as soon as the Australian Navy brings them ashore making it almost impossible for the islanders to show solidarity with them and let them know that they're welcome. Nevertheless, islanders have gone out of their way to try. Under the security regime, in order to grant a visit, islanders need to know the detainees' names and vice versa. Workers circumvented this by passing notes to people in detention which were welcoming them and giving them their full contact details and information on the visitation process. They declared, We are not against anyone that comes in but the army and navy and put flags on their roof saying we welcome asylum seekers for military planes to see. In December 2010, just a week before Christmas, a boat containing 90 asylum seekers from Iraq and Iran collided with rocks just north of Christmas Island. Despite attempts by the islanders to keep them afloat by forming a human chain on the cliffs and throwing them life jackets, surfboards and other objects, 48 people, men, women and children died. This Christmas, and always, let's take inspiration from the Union of Christmas Island Workers. We need to build unions, not borders. 
So that was the story of the Union of Christmas Island Workers, a trade union um, organising workers, as its name suggests, on Christmas Island. And although that story ended on a, um, a rather tragic note, um, one of the reasons we wanted to tell it is because we think it's an inspiring example of internationalist working class solidarity, um, where a, a trade union really expresses what we think are some of the best values of the labour movement historically, um, welcoming migrants and asylum seekers um, and, and, and understanding that those kind of divisions of immigration status are, are something imposed on us by states and, and really only serve to, to divide our class. And sure, uh, I don't have to explain to any of our listeners why that's an important message, uh, particularly at the moment. Mm. Incredibly, incredibly impressive story and just like really inspiring activity. And, and I think we should... Uh, send sort of seasonal solidarity not just to workers on Christmas Island but all of our brothers and sisters around the world who are facing dreadful conditions in various countries you know with the rise of various right-wing anti-trade union regimes and just uh, spare a thought over the holidays for our for our comrades around the world and uh, wish wish them all the best and make sure that we in 2019 take inspiration from some of the struggles that are going on. This episode of Labour Days was written and researched by Holly Smith. It was presented by Ellie Clark, Daniel Randall and Ed Mossville and produced by Liam McNulty. Find us on Twitter at Labour underscore Days and search Labour Days on Facebook. Download us from your podcast platform of choice and do leave us a review on iTunes. <laughs>